Today's episode of The Moment is sponsored by QuickBooks. If you work for yourself, try QuickBooks Self-Employed. It helps separate your business and personal expenses, estimate your federal quarterly taxes, and more. See what QuickBooks Self-Employed can do for you with a free 30-day trial at tryselfemployed.com slash moment. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Today, my guest is uh, Noah Emmerich. Hey, Noah. Hey, Brian. You know, em- you know Noah from uh, movies like The Truman Show, from, uh, what would you say the second, the movie that you're second most well known for? Miracle, depending on somebody's uh, age? Yeah, it depends upon age and, and, and hobbies, but Miracle, the hockey movie, or A Beautiful Girls. Beautiful Girls, which movie, was which when is... uh, Noah first sort of came to attention. And then most people know him now as uh, FBI agent Stan Beeman on uh, The Americans, which uh, you're killing it, man. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I mean, we, we were just talking. I mean, you and I have known each other for a long time, right? Like we yeah. met right at the beginning of both of our careers I think. yeah i mean beautiful girls was actually my first real role in a movie and it was directed by ted demi and ted produced my first movie rounders right, right think, after like right yeah. after beautiful girls yeah um both with it was all miramax stuff so we exactly. were both around miramax in those days yeah uh but i, I just want to start because we were talking before the mics came on and we were talking about yale and i think this is so indicative of, of kind of who you are and your the way you make how you make your way through the world which is uh we're talking about yale and you go no way i get in today Right. And I said, no, 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 it all proved out. Like, you've done so well in life. And you were just like, nah. What's that about, man? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't mean that in any self-deprecating way. I meant, I meant it, it would have been their loss. <laughs> See, I look like a self-deprecating... Uh, oh, good. That, no, oh, so it's really I, you're Yale's, just a passive-aggressive person. gotten dumb. Yeah, Yale and Harvard have gotten dumb. No, I just feel like, look, the competition is so global and the, and the priorities, I mean, I, I was sort of an extracurricular kid. My academics were strong, but they were not like top 0.01% of my class. My scores weren't perfect 800s, you know. I had a lot of extracurricular stuff. I was really involved politically. I was a musician. I did a lot of different things. But um, I don't think that would get, I don't think I would, I, I got into every school I applied to, which was really a shock to both me and all my advisors. They're like, you know, you can shoot for if you want to, but you better make sure you back that up. And I, you grew up in the city. I did. And New York City. Yeah. On the east side. Yeah. And where'd you go to high school? I went to Dalton. Right, which is like a good school, really good school. I mean, great school. Um, wow. At that time, it was also sort of like the, like sort of intellectually this incredible school, but also a huge party place. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean, I was not a party kid, to be honest. I was so busy. I played sports, you know, I did football. I did. I played in the jazz band. I sang in the choir. So you thought you felt so, comfortable. You were somebody because a lot of the time people who become artists felt a little bit outside of it. But it sounds like you were like actually right in the middle of everything. Yeah. I mean, Dalton was at that time, especially, I think, was a really artsy school. Um, it was really progressive. I kind of made, I was allowed to like skip certain classes because didn't because I had jazz band rehearsal. You know, I had I, it was very sort of do it yourself, individualized for the kid and the kid's sensibilities. And, uh, and at the time when you're doing all those things, did you think of yourself as somebody who was going to be an, an actor? Like that that was no, be I your never art acted. Form? That's the one thing I never did. You know, I actually played in the pit for like musicals and stuff like that. I was a trumpet player. Um, and I wanted to be a lawyer. I, I had my sights set on sort of politics and law. I remember my sophomore year of high school, Floyd Abrams came and spoke. Floyd Abrams was a constitutional lawyer. He yeah. did like depending on papers case, like sort of a famous First Amendment lawyer. Really inspiring, really amazing. Actually, his son now, Dan Abrams, is a fa- is a well known, you know, uh, newscaster and restaurateur uh, and restaurateur, right? And Floyd came and spoke, and he blew my mind. Like I remember really well. Like that moment changed my life. I thought, wow, I want to do this for a living. I want to go into constitutional law. So and- from that moment on, through my senior year of college. Uh, I I was completely set on being, uh, but I, I sang in an acapella group at Yale, and a friend of mine was directing a musical, and, and he needed desperately needed a bass voice, and I, he was like, "Come on, you're graduating, it'd be fun, you know, just on a lark, it'd be, you know, just." I'm like, I, "I can't do a musical, like I can't talk on stage. I'm not an actor, like that's just crazy." But long story short, I did this musical, which I sucked in completely. I was so nervous. I was so stage fright. I had such stage fright from having to talk on stage. During rehearsal? Were you all right during rehearsals? Rehearsals was okay, but I was just terrible. I, I was like a small bit part. It was the captain and anything goes, but I had a lot of singing. Um, 
And I was terrible. Like I had, we had three performances, and two out of the three performances, I forgot my lines. Like I, was, I was that scared. Yeah. What'd you do when you forgot your lines, man? Uh, just, Did the people I, help I, you? I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got my lines wrong. You know, I didn't. I didn't go up. I, I, I said things incorrectly. But well, you know. but so how did that lead then to this yeah, like really life of uh, acting? Um, was you know, it, was, it was an awakening in some way. I felt it felt like something deep inside of me had always wanted to do that. But I had really early on been sort of fallen into the musicians. Uh, the musicians group of people you know i played in the pits for shows i played parties i toured i did all kinds of stuff as a musician and i had friends who were actors but i don't know i, I don't know I, I you know i had a little bit of a stutter as a kid i was worried about i was scared to speak in public i could perform i love performing but i needed an instrument uh uh, you mean to hide behind it yeah way. yeah so when when you would see the people on stage when you were in the pit did did it in any private part of yeah. you? Did you admit it yeah, to yourself? Yeah, I think so. I mean, not consciously. Only, right. only in hindsight that I realized that was that there. glow that they had. Yeah. Like you wanted that. I wanted bit of that to glow. be there. I wanted to do that. I wanted to play in that. I wanted to play in that imaginative field. You know. Well, and I guess thinking of being a lawyer, especially one that addresses the Supreme Court or something, right? You would have given you in some way some of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, well, litigators are completely performers. You know, it's all about convincing the audience of jurors that you know you're they, they want to go with you yeah, I mean, I was, it really is that well, i'm so interested in this that you're you're there you're at yale you're succeed you're doing well enough that you get into yale law school yeah right? i was doing classes actually i finished college early and i started law school so my senior year quote unquote of college was actually half law school and actually i didn't take any classes in college i mean there were great actors there when you, when you were yeah. at, at yale i mean paul was a co- giamatti was paul a couple giamatti. years behind yeah. you yeah, I remember seeing him going, holy shit, this guy is amazing. He was amazing in college. And you would know, you knew it and noticed it. And like Ron Livingston yeah. was there. Yeah. Josh Molina. I don't know if you uh, know Josh. Of course Josh. I know Josh. He was my yeah. roommate. He was one of the people that convinced me to do Anything Goes. He was in Anything Goes with me. Then uh, how come he, he, Josh is like the biggest shit stir on Twitter of anybody. And he leaves yes. you alone on there. Oh, I'm his roommate. Is he, is he he's scared one of you? my best friends. I no, mean, I think he must be scared <laughs> because he goes after Whitford all the time. Oh, yeah. And Dulé. Yeah. Yeah. He's relentlessly, he's merciless uh, with castmates. But we never actually, when I did Beautiful Girls, when Ted Demi called me to tell me I got the job in Beautiful Girls, I was in a poker. We had a home poker game, right? Um, with Josh, and I was playing poker with Josh, Molina, and a couple of other guys who came out of that game that did really well. Sure, Josh and I have been uh, internet friends for years and have threatened to play cards together a lot. Right. And somehow it's never quite materialized, but I'm eager to sit across. Oh yeah, from he's him a good player. I'm ready. Good player for that. So rounders was our thing, man. I mean, we were hold'em players. We had a two night a week hold'em game at our house. At the time, I, I'm obviously you know this. Like no one wanted to play hold'em in those days. No one even heard of hold'em. Like this is a boring, dry game. Yes. But we we sort of had carried the torch originally, really, from the Atlantic Theater Company. Scott Ziegler, who was the artistic director of that. That's Mammoth's company. Exactly. Mammoth was a super big Hold'em player. He taught all those guys how to play Hold'em. We played at the Atlantic stage and like off nights in New York in the in the late 80s. Did you play with Mammoth? Yeah, no, I never played with Mammoth. No, he never played in New York. He played in Vermont. They'd go to Vermont every summer for this retreat and they that's where they all learned Hold'em. And in Chicago they played. And in Chicago, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll never forget reading that uh, essay uh, of his, you know, things I've learned playing poker on the hill. Right. Uh, and where he, he talks about um, all the different amazing poker books. And then he, yeah. he starts this one book, and it was sort of the beginning of the end for him of playing, where his dad says to him about combat between men, because that's Mammoth's thing, oh, yeah. are you still using cards? Oh, oh, oh. And I remember <laughs> reading that and thinking, like, I'm still using cards. <laughs> but and yeah. I, I still did for, like, another, well, I still am. But let's, still move, let's move away from me. I, so you're there, because I, listen, uh, a lot of people when they're in college and they're about to go out into the real world, something is tugging at them that tells them to try something else. And most people somehow tune that voice out and it doesn't come back until much later in life and it haunts them. Right. What do you think it was that made you notice it and pay attention to it? That's a really good question. I, and it was difficult to hold on to because everyone around me in my life thought I was having a nervous breakdown, basically. You know, like, what do you, you've never acted. You did one play, you were terrible. And now you're throwing away law school and want to be an actor. So yeah, what's that look like? Take, go a little bit slower because you come from like, you know, parents who, who were right. in the arts, but not, you know, they weren't right. art, uh, active art, right? Your well, mom, my mom's mom, a mom was in the arts. Yeah, and, my mom's an actual artist, you know, and my dad was an art dealer. Right, an art dealer. But, and but yeah, no, my parents, my dad was like, okay, well, good luck with you. Good luck to you on your life. Like, right. you know, I've, I've but, put 
what you they they paid for my school. They were really supportive. Um, but how did you come to? So you're sitting there and you're in law school at Yale. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think, uh, and obviously you see this path that you could take, and it's what you've told yourself you want. So how did the acting thing really announce itself to you? Right. And then how did you go about going like, okay, I'm not crazy. Right. Uh, just for yourself. Yeah. Well, I didn't trust myself. I thought maybe, you know, I was just sort of having a, a growing up pang. I get, maybe this is crazy. Maybe I should just go to law school. And But what, what somebody, I really fortuitously, an opportunity fell into my lap of uh, working as a travel writer. There were a couple of people from Yale who were a few years ahead of me that had gotten this assignment to write something called The Young Adventurer's Guide to Australia, like a backpacker's guide. And they asked me if I wanted to help them write this book. Um, at the same time, I had met with... Uh, one of my thesis advisors for, for, for the paper that I was writing, which was a constitutional law paper, was Harold Evans. And Harold said, you know, so what are you going to do when you graduate? You know, you're going to go to law school. And I sort of started talking about my, uh, my change of plan. And he said, you know, we're starting, if you're going to travel and write, we're starting a new magazine next year. But how did you articulate your change of plan? So you, cause you, you did this play, you were bad in it. Yeah. But you loved it. Yeah. Did you start waking, like, did you, was it that you started waking up with a knot in your stomach about sticking with law no, school or it was it, it was you kept thinking it was positive yeah. like i love yeah, this it was positive it was like wow i want to do more of this i want to do this more i can't believe i haven't done this and then i was living with josh molina who from the day one of his life said i want to be an actor so i had i had a real alternative sort of point of view which was you can do this for a living and like that that had never seemed tangible to me in any way so i woke up with this incredible enthusiasm this desire for more and then and a really one of my best friends in my ear saying you can do it you can do more and I was like, wait a minute, you, I can do this? Like, wait a second, you can do this for a living? Really? And so did you start thinking about how you were going to unwind, like all the promises you'd made to your... Right. Well, I took that job as a travel writer and left the country for a year. I went to Asia for a year. I so mean, you I, didn't announce acting at that point? No. Uh, no, no, oh, no. So that was I, still a yeah, secret. No, no. Well, it, I mean, I talked about maybe the interests. Somebody, I never said I'm going to be an you actor. You didn't tell your family. You didn't no. sit your family down God, and no, say, no, I'm no, going to be an actor. No, I said to myself, I'm going to go away. I'm going to have a year from a totally change of point of view, a totally changed context and perspective. And if I come back from this job, which maybe I'll never come back from, who knows, because it could have just gone on forever, the travel writing gig. I mean, the book we finished in a few months, and then I just went through Asia and wrote little pieces for with me. people or by yourself with with my, with one of my best friends and my roommate the other roommate who actually was going to law school were you staying in youth hostels what yeah, were you we doing yeah it was five dollars a day i mean it was great it was backpack it was a backpack for a year and because you were writing about it you probably kept some kind of journal yeah. oh yeah oh yeah a lot of a lot of stuff a lot of i mean i have a trunk full of that year of, of my you got to go through it at some point i know and photographs tons of photos i took a lot of pictures i was going to do a book of photography i thought but i never and so were you day as you were doing it were you daydreaming about what you were going to do when you Yeah, came? that was sort of the ticking thing is like when, I have to confront this at some point. For the first half of the year I don't think I thought about it too much. I really was excited about what I was doing and where I was and it was so far and it was amazing. And happy to have left at that point Completely. the law like you, yeah, you didn't think to great. yourself. Right. I had I thought I had Yale pretty much like in place if I want, you know, I I had done these classes at the law school uh, Benno Schmidt who was who was the president of the university at the time was also my advisor. So like I was they were like, you're going to Yale Law, I'm going to Yale Law, great, come back. You knew okay. you could come back and do it if yeah, you wanted to. right. And you didn't regret, you were like, this is great, um, I'm pretty comfortable saying uh, that's yeah, not who I am year. right now. No, great, take a year, don't go right to law school, take a year, travel, that's great. And no one knows the, 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 the ulterior motive yeah. of that year. But, but as the year came to a close and I had to come back to America, I started to think like, okay, what, I mean, this is really sort of the moment. Am I gonna go to law school now? Or am I going to say, I think I want to try like, you know, auditioning for things, which I didn't actually want to do. I wanted to study acting. I, I didn't feel qualified to be an actor. I didn't think I can just go. I was terrible. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, you know, so I needed you just felt so I wanted to go to drama school. That's what I wanted to do. That was harder for me to put together because I couldn't afford it. And, and, and they weren't and, paying for and it. And that wasn't going to be happening. Yeah, right. understandably so, you know. So, but you, you would uh, like you had made in, internally, though, the decision. By the time I came home. And I was with Charlie, who's my, who's really one of my closest friends, who was going to about to start UVA law school when we came back. Like I saw, he was starting to deal with paperwork and starting to deal with stuff, and I was like, "Fuck, you know what? This is not for me. Actually, I don't want to go to law school. I want to, I want to study constitutional law. Maybe I'll go to law school later. Yale has a great journalist program for you know, you can go right. for a year. Like, I had all these notions of like, I'll go to law school one day. In fact, I still harbor those notions. I really still think, literally, just last week I was talking to someone saying, I may go back to law school. Like it would be fun a couple of years and do that. 
And and uh, when were you saying this? Last week. I really? Mean, I still, I mean, right right at the height, this is great. <laughs> well, you might have a problem with success then. It might be that whenever you get no. to a point of like real success, you have to somehow pull the ripcord. That's yeah. like, now I'm starting to think it's a pathology <laughs> because you're at like at the, you've only worked 25 years to get to this place it's you are true. right now. It's true. I'm Maybe not, now's I'm not, not when you cash yeah, I'm it not, in. I'm not, but you can do it. I mean, yeah, I, I look, I only shoot five months a year on my show. I have, I have six and a half, seven months No, it's a great. Year. I mean, it's funny. You hear when NFL guys do it, it sounds awesome, right? They do it in the off season. They take an extra couple of years. They become a lawyer. They have right. a bunch of good years before their brains go. <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, yours is not as bad. You got stunt oh. guys for when you have to. But so you see him doing this. You say to yourself, I really do think I love this. And yeah. you hadn't done any acting that and, year. And, and, I, and I want to pursue it. I, I don't know if I'm going to commit my life to acting. But I want to take some classes. I want to learn about this craft. I was completely, by the way, theater obsessed. I, I, was, I was completely non-interested in film or television. Like I was like, I'm never going to L.A. Had you been Movies theater are, obsessed before? I, I always enjoyed the theater as, a, as an audience member. I always enjoyed it. I really felt powerful. I was not a film kid. I loved TV. I watched Did you ever, tons uh, of television. You know what we were talking about today? In the, we're in the... We're doing this where we um, have the writer's room for Billions, uh, the show I'm working on. But we're talking today about second acting, like stealing the second act of Broadway shows when you... Did you ever do it as a kid in New yeah, York? Yeah, all the time, all the time. You, you uh, loiter yeah. outside. Yeah, you wait and, for intermission, you go in on the second act. Yeah, I, I've done that. Yeah, I've done that many, especially this, right at the moment. That's we're what I'm asking. About. That's what I'm That's wondering. That's when I second acted everything. You did. You also, I don't know if you know this, but Lincoln Center Library has an amazing resource. They have a they have a videotapes of every show ever produced on Broadway. I mean, starting yeah. in, the, in the 60s. Yeah, I've watched. I went and I watched the, um, uh, the Malkovich. Oh, Gary Sinise. Yeah, Malkovich yeah. and Gary Sinise. Yeah. The two shows, right? True yeah. West. Oh, oh, True West. Didn't they do yeah. both? Yeah, I they think did. they did both. They yeah. did True West and Burn This. Yeah, um, I saw Burn This like three times. You I, did? That's one of those ones I second acted because it was so amazing. I was just would go to the... That's what I did. So when I came back from traveling, I signed up for some acting classes, movement classes, like speech class. I still had like sort of speech impediments. I spoke really fast as a kid. I stuttered. I spoke fast. People couldn't understand me. A true stutter or a stammer? I mean, not a stammer, I guess, more. I don't even know, actually. I never had, like, therapy for that. It wasn't ever so bad that it Were was... Were you self-conscious about it? Completely. Wildly so. Did it make you shy at times? No, I wasn't shy in life. But as, an, as the idea of performing or giving a speech or having to talk publicly or reading... Like, man, like, when you sit in class and you're reading around the room and it gets to you, like, you know, whatever grade that is, I would be sweating bullets and just... Dying to it's get interesting then that all the ideas of the things you wanted to do involved like you having to face that challenge right i mean either right. being a litigator yeah isn't that always true man somehow i feel like well for for you it it, <laughs> it seems to be some right. people run no you know i think there are a couple of mo right modes people run from it or they go towards it right i have some abstract sense that i haven't really gelled at all but some sense that whatever you're scared of the most you need to go towards you need to go you need to lean into that uh, yeah, because there's I, interesting stuff there. The reason you're afraid of it is it holds power for you, and it holds probably interest for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I talk about this uh, all the time. I mean, I think uh, if you don't chase that stuff, you become toxic. Right. You know, to your, you know you've, right. you you shut it off, and then I think it, it's difficult to become to the people you love who you, who you really need to be. When right. You know, you're shutting off this thing that you could, you know, if you if you chase down, maybe you can manifest. Uh, right. I, and I, I think as an artist, and that's why you are an artist, like you have to constantly go put yourself right over that edge of where you're not sure of your capability. Right. That's the whole point, in a way. I mean, if, if you avoid that feeling, toxic is a great word for it, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's great to me that you sort of were able to, most people, I think, don't realize it until later. I was 30 before I put it together. So I, I'm, I'm talking I'm, this morning, man. I just realized this this morning. Oh, that's great. <laughs> well, obviously, you kind of realized it when you were young. And so you're, sec you're in New York. What jobs did you take? I worked, you know, I went to, it's funny, I went to like all the different theater companies. I'm about to, it's funny, this is a real moment for me, actually, And speaking of the moment. Good. Like, I'm about to do, I just agreed today to do this play, Playwrights Horizons. I'm going to do it starting in a couple of weeks. It's Congratulations. A run. What is it? Um, it's a new Bruce Norris play called The Qualms. Uh, it's going to be really fun and it's a fun character and. Congratulations. Who, oh, who's in it with you? Uh, you know, I don't actually know the full cast yet, so I don't even... I sure, I, I'm sure it's okay to talk about it. It's not like... It's just a couple of month run of playwrights, but it comes to mind because I went to playwrights. I went to Manhattan Class Company. I went to every theater company that could just walk in and said... I handed them my resume. It was like some Yale Law School guy who wants to like sweep their floors. Like I think they were really confused And what job me. did you get? 
I got these, I couldn't really, I, I got terrible jobs. You know, I got jobs. I worked, the first real job I got that paid me was working as a reader for casting directors. I worked at, in casting, which where I learned so much. I got, Being I a reader, meaning to, you read with the actors. Yeah. The first year I just took, I studied Meisner technique with Ron Stetson, who still teaches here at the Neighborhood Playhouse. Yeah. He's a fantastic teacher. I, you know, he taught me so much. Right, I'm sure that, that the way the textual analysis of Meisner must have worked really well for you. Yeah. Because it, yeah. It, yeah, somebody who studied the stuff you did and probably understands deconstruction and all that, yeah. it probably was useful. Yeah, and, for you. yeah completely. And, and, and underneath that, the notion that you need, like, the whole repetition exercise is really misunderstood. The, the cutting off of the intellect to access your sort of primal emotional truth. So it's both it's Because I have pieces, problems right? with the intellect yeah. part. You know, I, over, I, I started out really sort of over-analytical, over, like... It's a really ways, really interesting place to hide your feelings in intellect. You know, it's a really easy so you to, like the uh, yes. Yeah, so that you're saying you when you over intellectualize. So for you, that's where your comfort zone is. So you had to. Yeah. So it's like I don't give a fuck what you're thinking about. It. I don't want to hear your analyst. Like, what are you feeling? What are you feeling? And it's like I don't know, man. I want to talk about it. Right. <laughs> you know, it's great therapy. But isn't uh, so much of Meisner finding those moments in the scene where it turns? Well, there, well, there's like yeah, the right. Stella Adler Meisner, you know, which yeah. is sort of the analytical yes. deconstruction. But, but the core of Meisner, the heart of it, is the reality of doing under imaginary circumstances. Like that's sort of you can't really, but the reality of doing. So, and, and what that means is the reality of doing is like, what does it feel like to do this? What are you experiencing if you're doing these things that this character is doing, or or having things done to you that the character is having done to him? You know, right? It, so it's it's about emotionality it's about the experience understanding what the experience is you need to flip to the other side now to say what's happening here so that's the analytical side but the actual the river that you're riding down and and so you found the exercises like um all the kind of repetition acting exercises the imaginary ball whatever that stuff that works for you it worked great because it it connected you to the stuff it was absurd and then i realized it's really easy to misunderstand but you know the reason you repeat is to turn off the brain. You don't want to look for text. You don't want to search for clever things to say or witty things to say or smart things to say. So you don't have to. You can turn off the text brain and just live in the feeling brain. I'm not doing the great job of explaining. You this, are but, no, no. I'm just know, as I'm looking at you, I'm thinking about it because you're obviously such a bright guy, and so I, I can see that that for you, you didn't want to get lost in being who you right, are. You, can you be wanted really to try witty, to. You know, you're thinking and you're thinking above your neck. Well, I wonder to, if that's why, though. I mean, you played in the beginning a lot of blue-collar characters and no, not really educated characters. I know. I, I can't pass for educated or, uh, you know, Well, now you're playing a, a, an FBI person, yeah. so you're an educated... Yeah. You're an, and, like, I'm, you know, I, I can never play Jewish. It's so weird. Like, there's such... I'm a New York Jewish, like, semi-intellectual yeah. No, intellectual, kid. yeah, and, sure. And, like, I get cast as, like, the cop from Boston who, like... Is anti-Semitic, <laughs> like well, my, my right. poor mom. No, of course, and in and and well, you ended up in a group of Irishmen. I mean, there was a group of Irishmen who adopted yeah. you, right? right. Between right. Teddy, that's true. I mean, you look at Teddy right. and Gavin, and even Eddie Burns, like right. the crew of guys right. who took you in as their wow. own are all like New York Irish dudes with a big chip on their shoulder. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never, I, I, that's incredible reflection. I never thought of that. Right, it's really weird. Those are that's your that's your brood. You know, I think. I'm responsible. Obviously, we're all responsible for everything on some level. But I feel like I know I was always been confounded by how did this happen? And by, I think I'm just literally having this insight as I'm talking to you that for me, acting was a rejection of the intellectual. So for me, in some weird way, acting was a blue collar pursuit. And somehow, I don't, you know what I mean by that? It's more subtle. But yeah, you're getting out of your head. Yeah. So you're living in like. You know, you're living in Stanley Kowalski's body. I was just saying, it's almost a Jackson Pollock thing. I'm thinking right. of like actually Ed Harris as Pollock, where right. it's like, how do I, you know, Krasner is so in her head, and all of them are all in their heads trying to intellectualize this pursuit. And, and, and when people try to understand what Pollock did, yes, there was a huge intellectual underpinning. Right. But then when you got rid of that, it was just like id on pay, right. like connecting to the id and what he was, right? Yeah. There's this yeah. power to that kind yeah. of art. Primal direct. Primal without, rejection without, of that other stuff. Yeah. So maybe I like, maybe I sort of put out this blue collar energy. I think I, like I did when I was younger, when I started acting, like to me, the first character was always like, hey, how you doing? I mean, right. I was doing, I was imitating De Niro or whomever it was, you know, I was like, that's an actor, man. Like, fuck yeah. this I mean, none of these suit. guys would say whomever for one. Right, right. I mean, they just would right. never, never say that word. Right. 
whoever. Yeah, what are you talking whoever. about? Yeah. Hey, and it's like New York, and like I, I, I created it. And then you know, the other thing about it is, is once you begin something, it gets amplified because the people see you do, and they go, "Oh, that's who you are." And they don't really believe in acting. I don't. I think Hollywood fundamentally doesn't believe in acting. Well, right. Yeah, I was gonna. I had this. Uh, it's funny. I was talking to Levine, um, you know, my creative partner, yeah. um, before, and I was like, uh, "Do you have anything you want to ask?" No, and he said, "Um, what are you thinking of asking?" And I had this one question. I said. Which I want to ask you, which this ties into, which was, do you think that your naturalism as an actor, like your instinct to be small and truthful, right, sort of is one of the things that took it so long that instead of becoming a caricature, right. your very naturalism right. and reality, sort of hewing to the reality of these moments is why you were the second banana in so many things. And like, it took all this time. Right. And I wonder if now it's why it's paying such huge dividends. Wow. But how you thought of that. That's really it. interesting. You know, I mean, it's funny because I've tried, I feel like I started out way too big. I've been trying to get more and more reduced minimalist as, as I've grown as an actor. You know, something that I've consciously sort of felt like, I felt like everyone feels like they need to show you know, and and, and yeah. on stage. I for mean, some, I think you've always level, been a human, though. Well, in the film, no, no, I think I've been human. Thank, take that as a great compliment. I think I think that does um, some. You know, it's it's interesting. That's a really deep philosophical question because what is acting and what is the right approach and and should it be lifelike or should it be a little bit more sparkly or should it have should it project a little bit louder than real life to bring the or should you make the audience lean into you? And like those are all these questions that you can have another whole podcast about or seventeen. Yeah, but, but how do you think about that stuff? Right. As I, in, I and, think, and how do you think that 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 right. that tied into sort of like I think this arc it, of your it, career? It, 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 I think it slowed down the discovery of me to some degree i think you know it's very look one of the great uh one of the great lines i've heard about acting is you know acting is a great craft just don't ever let them catch you doing it right and that's 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 i, I subscribe to that school of thought you know you don't want to look like you're acting you want to be as, 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 as have as much integrity and in, in well when i think about how those guys you have used you you know when i think about how teddy who we both loved uh, yeah. who died way too young used you in in uh, Monument Avenue. Oh yeah. When I think about the way Gavin used you in all the the films, I mean, if I think about you in your in the small but crucial role in, in Warrior, and then I think about you in uh, the, Pride uh, and Glory. No, well, yeah, for oh. sure, in in Pride and Glory, uh, Monument Avenue, and then also though, um, what was the last thing? Well, he directed you in The Americans. But, yeah. Oh no, Miracle Man in Miracle. Oh, Miracle. Yeah. Sorry, in Miracle, where everybody is really oh, yeah. big. Right. I mean, he's doing a really huge thing. Right. Uh, all of the actors are not really actors. The kids on the team right. are not really actors. Right. They're kind of like playing these hyper real versions of these American heroes. Right. And you're kind of in the center of it. And in a weird way, you know, you're the, you really stand in for the audience in that movie, watching this guy, Herb, do what he's doing what he's doing right and so while the movie's going on i think you make all these moments play i think i wrote you oh, an email thanks, after watching man. that i know oh, i did thanks, after watching man. that movie i know i wrote you an email wow, and i was like so nice yeah it's amazing you know i always feel like the smallness and the and the and the subtleness of, of what i'm attempting to do the people that i care the most about will notice and the ones that i, I are less important to me won't maybe won't notice like i feel like there's a certain type of person that like you noticing that is incredibly rewarding and like wonderful for me to experience well i love hearing that um, but, but but the great thing for you is like that that you deliver like if people are um i'm sure most people have seen miracle but if you haven't there's this moment where the coach kurt uh, the, the kurt russell is is uh yeah blowing his whistle and making uh, or is making the players go again and again and again yeah and they cut to you as you're watching this and it's just a you know you without saying anything just with your body and your face make that whole moment work and i'm wondering how you think about playing those moments and 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 sort of serving that function right as the guy making the assist i heard coach right. k once talk about how when a guy in yeah. on his team when a guy scores um when they're watching tape back he never says to the guy who scored, great job. He always finds the guy who made really? the pass before the pass to the yeah. guy. Because he was the guy who scored, he got rewarded. Closes. The guy who made the assist got that. But the guy who got the rebound and then threw the pass right. gets very little. Wow. You know, sometimes that's you've really been that good. guy. Yeah, that's really amazing, you know. 
Um, and I have complex notions about. I, I don't think that's. I don't want to be that guy. Right. That, I want to score. Right. But like, you were we that guy in a lot of movies. And, and I am that guy, and I've been that guy for sure. And I think that's a more. You know, we can get into a Freudian discussion of why I'm that guy, but. I have to also just say one thing because I just feel like it's important to give credit where credit is due. That scene, the whistle scene in Miracle, I, my character wasn't in. It was just, my character wasn't there. And this is, speaks to Kurt Russell, who was one of, like, one of my favorite people I've ever worked with, an incredibly generous and wise and supportive and interesting character. I love him. He said to Gavin, we need Noah in this scene. Really? To triangulate. Otherwise, it's just going to be me beating these people up. So he realized that he needed so someone to throw him the ball. He needed yeah. someone to throw him the ball. Yeah, exactly. He knew that you needed that counterpoint to be the audience. To exactly what, how it turned out. And it, and I was like, what? Okay, really? And I was like, but that's my dream come true in a way to be there, and to not have any lines. I mean, I think the less lines you have, in some ways, the better. The more interesting the challenge it is for the actor. And as he makes, you know, it's really interesting if you can do it without words. It is it is a movie, right? Because Kurt's being totally unreasonable. Right. And you are reacting. A, yeah, and I'm just reacting. Reacting is the most interesting acting in the, always. I mean, every, every, all acting is reacting. Hey, we're going to take a quick break for a word from QuickBooks, this week's sponsor of the show. If you work for yourself, try QuickBooks Self-Employed. It helps separate your business and personal expenses so you can easily track what you spent for work and what you spent on yourself. It also helps take the guesswork out of your estimated federal quarterly taxes. So come tax time, you know how much money to set aside for Uncle Sam and how much stays in your pocket. Explore what QuickBooks Self-Employed can do for you with a free 30-day trial at tryselfemployed.com slash moment. Like this podcast, The Moment, tryselfemployed.com slash moment. When you got Truman Show, this giant movie, one of the great directors of all time directing yeah. it, after, you know, yeah, Beautiful Girls, these, you know, uh, a career that was a really solid, good career. And then suddenly you're with the biggest star in the world, with one of the biggest directors in the most, you know, the, the second lead in the, in the film. Yeah. How old were you when that happened? I was like 37, 36. And what, how did it, how did it come to be? And you know, like, that's what did it fast, feel like? That, that's a good story, actually, you know. Uh, I had gotten a hold of the script for Truman Show year before they were making it, and I read it, and I was like, oh, "It's a mind-blowingly fantastic script." Andrew Nichol. Andrew Nichol. Um, and I called my agent, and I said, "You know, there's a script. I knew the role. I was like, that's a great role for me." And then she's like, oh, "Honey, honey." <laughs> It was Susan Smith, who was one of the great old oh, classic agents. Levine's first job was working for her agency. You're kidding. As an assistant. So many people in Hollywood's first job came through Susan Smith's office. It's unbelievable. She yeah. was classic. And I had sort of begged her to be my agent. No one wanted to represent me. I had no tape on myself. Then I got Beautiful Girls. So I'm, I'm going to have to abbreviate the story a little bit. But I read the script. I said, listen, there's a script. It's unbelievable. Well, but she said, no, no, I like that. You don't have to she, shut she, it down. Okay, she said, honey, like, it's not even in production. They, they don't even have a director. Like, how'd you get that script? I don't even, don't worry. Like, relax. And like, also, we'll see okay like you know okay <laughs> right. sure then they then peter weir got attached to it and she, i was like he's one of my heroes favorite directors of all time you know from literally picnic and hanging rock to gallipoli to witness to, i mean it's just his crazy right brilliant yeah and if people um, haven't seen any of those movies they should see him all great every I mean, peter a, weir movie yeah yeah um and I was like, oh, my God, Peter Weir. Like that, my chances now go a little bit smaller. This is going to be a big movie. I didn't know it was going to be a big movie. Who knew? Then they cast Jim Carrey. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I'm never going to get this part. Like, it's going to be some star. Like, I, was, I had done one movie, Beautiful Girls. But you're carrying it around in your head. You and know you have to do it. I'm to it. So then finally, and I call Susan literally every two weeks and say, anything happening with Truman Show? Make sure I get an audition. Can I just, any, are they casting yet? Are they casting yet? No, they just cast Jim Carrey. No casting. And I was shooting Copland, actually, in New York. Right. And uh, I made my weekly, bi-weekly phone calls to Susan saying, what's, you know, what's going on with Truman Show? And she's like, oh, yeah, honey, it's casting. I was like, what? Like, casting? I've yeah, been calling you, you for like 12 months about this. Like, yeah, I don't think it's going to work out. And I was like, what? She said, yeah, they don't want to see you. And I went bananas. I was like, I can't even get an audition. Like, I can't even go in for the casting director. Now, when Howard. you went bananas, did you, you think you raised your voice, or do you think you? I mean, I, did, I, I, I was. It was probably more pain than anger. It was like, what do you mean? Like we've been. You promised me. Right. We've, I've, I had the. My, we've been talking about this. I mean, this is the. I can't even get an audition. Like, why not? Then I found out later that Howard Fuhrer, who was one of the great grand big time cast directors at the time, 
um, had a, was in a feud with Susan Smith over some who knows what 10-year-old thing. So I was in the wrong agency. I couldn't get an audition. And that was the end of the story. You know, that's a great, right there is a great lesson because people always want to empower these gatekeepers and they believe right. that if somebody says no, it must really be a judgment on them. Right. But you'll never know that it's because the agent and the casting director had a fight about a right. parking spot right. 10 and, years and, before. And they didn't and see it, each other's clients. Yeah. Right, and, and yeah. decided to have a mutual destruction. Yeah. So how'd you get around? What'd you do? So, well, for, I mean, to my great luck, Peter Weir couldn't find someone. He saw, I mean, there were so many people that, not just the stars, but then they went down, they wanted to cast a star. It was a big hundred million, it was a giant movie at the time. That was, you know. It was a huge event movie, that movie. Great, huge, and, uh, great, big concept. He couldn't find the guy he liked. Like, and he's Peter Weir. He's, you know, it's not like he gets to say what he wants. So they had gone on this extensive search and eventually, eventually, like literally now it was, Two months later, when I found out about the casting, and were you working it behind the scenes at all? Like, no, did you know people no, who knew Jim I, no, Carrey? No, no, or no. You... Actually, you know what? I had I had met Jim Carrey because Lauren Holly was in Beautiful Girls, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. I was never good at behind the scenes working. I always Lauren Holly, who I, I was, was like um, going out with Jim or Mary, right. uh, he, was in Beautiful Married, Girls. With yeah, you. she was in Beautiful right. Girls, and he visited the set. And I shook his hand. I, mean, I didn't know the guy, but I shook his hand. And you didn't say anything. No, about... this was this was before I knew about Truman ah, okay. Show. This was like so. I had met him. I, I could have called Lauren, I guess we were friends, you know, I, I could have, I just, I've never been good at that. I've never been good at that. It's another Freudian conversation. But uh, eventually, you know, I kept calling Susan. I said, listen, and I found out about it. I said, listen, I know you were in some fight with Howard, but this doesn't, I don't care. Like, you've got to like swallow your pride and get me this audition. Like, I'm going to get this part. Like, and she was like, okay, honey. You know, she thought, of course, I was being foolish and naive and, you know, dreaming in the stars. Um, but long story, I mean, you know, long story is still long. They couldn't find the guy they liked. Like now, like Howard Fuhrer is not, he's Peter Weir, for whatever reason, I don't even know why, couldn't find the and guy. And you he know, liked. you not only love the part, you just know this is going to be, I mean, it's I like feel, I know Johnny Fontaine and The Godfather. You knew yeah. this was like the I, I knew, change yeah, for you? Yeah, yeah. I, and I knew I could just, I just had a special connection to the part. I knew how to play Marlon. The character's name was Marlon. So long story short, I got an, finally got an audition for Howard Fuhrer. Oh, not even for Weir no, at first. No, pre-read for Howard. Oh, and you knew the casting director didn't want, I mean, you just right, knew for all right. sorts of reasons he didn't, he didn't because want of, but he didn't. But I knew it wasn't personal, so he didn't know me from right. Adam. So I went in and met Howard. Was it in New York or LA? It was in New York. I'll never forget. It was like midtown. It was not far from the Brill Building, somewhere over there. And I was just, I couldn't believe this moment had arrived. But it was just Howard, it's a pre-read, you know. And I go and I read for Howard and he's like, Oh, you know something like yeah, I think. Uh, okay, well, let, let, yeah, let me. Uh, 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 okay, well, nice to meet you. And I left, and I was like, okay. Now, what's Susan, your mindset back when you when you go for an audition? Then is are you um, looking for the reaction in the room, or or is it for you just like uh, knowing you did the thing you came to do? How yeah. do you how do you both? Buy? It's actually both. I mean, you, with this particular one, it had so much pent up desire that I just wanted to, I was like, they're going to, the attitude you should always have, but I really had in spades, they were like, wait till they see me. I'm gonna, they haven't been able to find their guy, like I'm their guy. And you knew. And I felt that so strongly, like just wait till they see me. So then, and then did you feel you did it? That's like I that's felt like I went into Howard. I was like, it was good. I felt really good. But I also knew the futility of it. It was nothing could happen from that meeting. All that could happen was. But I you got it. your hearing. Yeah. from him. I got the least. hearing, and he called me back. And Susan called me up and said, "Wow, you must have done something special." I haven't talked to Howard. She actually then came clean and said, "Like I haven't talked to him in you know eight years, and like he's gushing about you, and they want to bring you back tomorrow for Peter Weir." And I was like, "All right, this is as it should be." Oh, she's so not nervous that night. No, no, excited, excited. Oh, that's super empowering that you yeah. process that way. Like yeah. not everybody processes that way. That's true. I, I felt really, I mean, this is what you need to, I don't have this everywhere. This is a particular synchronicity, you know? And I went in for Peter, I remember it was a Thursday and I, I went in and I read for him and you could just see, he was just like, holy shit, like, wait a second. And he, I, I did the scene once, one of the scenes, and he was like, wait a second, like, where have you, who are you? Like, what have you done? Like, how come I don't, it was just kind of like, how, how come I never even heard of you? Like. And it was, I could tell he was, and I was like, I don't know, you know, I'm just starting out and I did this and movie, did you say Girls. And did you say I've always wanted, like I read this script? Did no, you, I, I said, yeah, I said, I, I love the script. I've read the script a long time ago. Like, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. I've been trying to get in. He's like, well, it's really quite interesting. Like, let's, can we do that? Do you mind if I videotape you? I was like, no, he's, it was just me and him alone in the room. And he pulls out a video camera himself. and starts, He read with you? Yeah, yeah, he read with me alone. Oh, that's super cool. And he pulls out the camera and he's like, do you mind if I tape? I'm like, sure. We do it again. He's like, wow, that's really quite quite interesting you know let me uh really quite interesting uh, so uh and you haven't so you've done one movie yes you've done one okay well uh yeah and you're shooting something now great okay 
okay, well, uh, lovely to meet you. And I leave. And I was staying at my mom's house. I was living with my mom because I was in New York shooting Copland. I yeah. lived in L.A. at the time. And I came home and I was like, I felt really good. Actually, I, actually, I... I, I, I I went home that weekend. I couldn't sleep all weekend, and like, oh, called. good. All right, so there was. I'm glad there was like a human at least. There was some. Some neurosis. Now I'm shitting my pants. Now right, I can't good. do anything. I'm literally in a coma. I'm shaking. Like, is, am I gonna get the job? Uh, you like, are a Jew. I did all right, just thing. making sure. No, I'm completely yeah. out of my mind. Yeah, and I can't really get out of bed. I'm so yeah, nervous. Yeah. And then they call. Peter wants to see you again. Like, I think he didn't trust. Like, is this a fluke? Right, sure. Like, how do I know if this guy can really deliver on the day, you know, when it's... Yeah, and he's going to put you in a room action. with Ed Harris and Jim Carrey. Right, right. It's like, you know, so 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 I was like, okay, yeah, great. I'll go back again. Like, he's worried. I get he's worried. This is a huge movie. It's a huge part. Like, how could he trust one guy one day? So I go back in for Peter, and um, we do it again. That, that was when it was a Friday. It was a Friday. But in the meantime, I did skip one thing, which... I, I, whatever. Go, no, what'd you skip? Well, Warren Beatty was making Bullworth. Yeah. And he had seen me and called Another me. I had, I had, excellent movie, I, I had actually. met him over the years. He had been incredibly sort of complimentary and nice and supportive of me. He saw me in Beautiful Girls. And he called me and said, listen, I have this movie I'm directing and I, um, I want you to be in it. And I was like, wow, incredible. That's like, not a call people get. No, right? I was, out of, yeah. I, was like, I was like, great, I can't wait to read it. And I was shooting Copland, remember, I keep saying this, because part of the reason this informs it is because I, was, I had a really uninteresting small role in Copland with all these great, incredible stars, but I was, I was, really, ups, I was really not having a great time because I had nothing to Why? do. I was just watching De Niro, which was amazing, and watching, you know, Keitel and all these people and Ray Liotta and the, Arthur Nascarella. But, but I had nothing to Arthur Arthur Nascarella. I had nothing to do. I was just like deputy droop along. I had no role. It wasn't and meaty, realized, and you're there yeah, as a part of the thing. I just thing. come out of Beautiful Girls, and that was really a good role. And like, and I was, and I, and I was just, I just was like, this is, this doesn't work. This is speaking back to the, you know, the guy who made the past of the past of the past. This wasn't even the guy. This was the guy on the bench, kind of cheering on. And I was like, this, I don't want to be on a set. I'd rather right. not work. Well, that was and, a tough one. I mean, that's one where even Pete Berg had like the seventh lead. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was Bobby Patrick had no, a yeah, small part. It right. was an incredible. I mean, incredible one of the great cast, cast. ever and, kind and, of put and I'm together. I'm grateful that I did, and I'm proud to be a part of that movie. Yeah, but, Falco has a tiny supporting yeah. role. Right? Yeah. So yeah. But, I just but you're want, there and miserable, kind of miserable. Do that again. So anyway, right. so I said I'd love to read it, and Warren's like, "Oh, well, you know, you can come over and read it." And I was like, "I'm in New York." And he's like, "Well, I, I can't, I won't, I can't send you the script, but if you want to come out, I'll, I'll bring you out to read it." Because he was very protective and very, you know, well, secretive he, about yeah, the script. Right. So I flew out to L.A. While this auditioning process, yeah, was going it, on? It, 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 it was that. So this was the thing. I got the call on the Friday that Peter wanted to see me again the following Tuesday. And in between, you went to go and read the script with Warren. To, I went out to LA and I read, and I sat in Warren's office and I, I read a script and it was Bullworth and it was a phenomenal script. And and uh, oh, this is weird actually. I guess you're not supposed to talk about this. I don't know, man. But anyway, you can so, talk about why. What so part? So the role are you? was like uh, the cameraman. And who ends up playing that role? It actually ended up being played by Sean Astin. Right. Um, yeah. But I read the script and, you know, it was nothing on the page. It was just, he's there and all the time. He's there all the time because he's making a movie about the thing, but he has no no real character, nothing to play. And so I, I was just in the middle of doing that in Copland. I said to Warren, you know, this is, I was like, I don't know. And my friends were like, are you fucking crazy? Like, I, I had this callback for Peter Weir that was pending. And I was like, I'm going to do the, I said, you know, I, 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 and Warren needed an answer. He needed an answer before I left his office. He's like, and it was a four-month commitment. Warren takes a long time. I was like, shit, man. I mean, Warren Beatty's one of my incredible, I think he's the most amazing actor, director, writer, producer, like incredible, incredible man that I would love to work with. And like, and even if I had nothing to do, hanging out on his set for four months might be pretty it's valuable. One of the only people ever. I mean, he missed basically one time out of every movie. He's basically yeah. never, you know, yeah, never he's missed. Un he's unbelievable. And I thought, I can go sit on his set for four months and not do any acting. Clearly, I carry a camera around. Um, at the end of that movie, though, there's a good moment for that yes. character. Yeah, and, and there was going to change. Yes. He kept saying, we're going to... We'll, we'll but there is at the end of the movie because of but what happened. You know, I, yeah. I, I, Truman Show was shooting at the same time. So I couldn't do both jobs. And But like, here I am. And an you actor. didn't even have the job. Right. I had a callback. And so you pass? And I passed. That's and my friend, ballsy, actually, Josh man. Molina, who was like, he was like, you are out of your fucking mind. Like, you're turning down a job with Warren Beatty for an audition. Like you're crazy. I'm like, but I'm going to get the turning down. Now this is making sense to something else because turning down a certain thing for the unknown void is something that you've gotten yourself comfortable <laughs> with. <laughs> right, I guess so. Right? I mean, yeah. because we'll get to this, but Gavin told me that he basically really had to convince you to do television. That's true. And to do the Americans and because, and I'm now understanding it's because um, 
that was like certain there's a lot of certainty connected with doing yeah i didn't uh, want to do you're terrible. locking yourself in right but i don't want to jump ahead but now the right. cycle i mean you talk about freud you're doing the freud yeah, thing whether you want to or not how much do i owe you it, for it the all makes sense <laughs> uh, uh ties in because i was like why wouldn't Noah have wanted to do this but now right uh i can understand it kind of at a uh, uh, deep yeah. level yeah but, um so you pass so i pass and wow, that which also stacks crazy. the pressure on yourself right Everyone thinks I'm crazy and I'm out of my mind, but I really feel this is destiny. I mean, I, I'm not that kind of person. I don't feel that very often. Yeah. But um, I could see it in Peter's face, too. I, I, had, I had met him now. And I knew I was in. And I really felt like this is... I, I'm, so whatever. I passed. Warren was not happy, understandably. You know, sure. I mean, who says no to Warren? I was crazy to say no to Warren. And in any other circumstance, I never would have said no. I would never would have ever done that. I mean, other than the fact that there was this incredible role that I thought I was going to maybe get. Yeah, and also you and, knew if you got, it was life-changing. Right, right. I mean, you had to know, right. if I, I get it, this, I it's a life-changing thing. It, I thought it would be. I, I don't think it was as life-changing as I well, thought it we'll would be. Well, we'll get to that's that. Yes. But, but, um, yeah, but believe me, that's case, the next, I have that. No, that's really. the next. Yeah, so, of course, so anyway, yeah. so I went back to New York. I auditioned for Peter. It was Yom Kippur, so it was the weekend, and the Yom Kippur was on a Monday, I think it was, and I remember it was like, I literally, that was the weekend, I couldn't get out of bed, I was in bed. He, Peter said, I'll let you know by, I, I have the days of the week wrong, whatever it, it matter. was, he like, said, I'll, I'll let you know, as soon, you know, within a day or two, we just need to c- confirm this and show the tape to the studio, because they were like, who are you the fuck So he casting? said that when you, you mean, so you go back yeah, and I you do your and thing, and I'm, you nail sure it. Because I know you have this offer, I didn't, this I understand. Is, I didn't tell him that I had passed on Warren. You wanted to keep the I, pressure. I wanted on. to keep the pressure. Like, you know, so I do have this offer. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. He's like, well, I'll let you know. So they knew that they had to give me an answer soon, which is why Peter brought me back in quick. And uh, and how'd anyway, you find out? So I got a message. I, th- I, I, I think I might have this tape somewhere in a drawer somewhere. The other days of the answer machine cassette. Yeah. You know? But I was lying in bed and the phone rang and it was Susan Smith. And I couldn't answer, of course. Like, I'm not going to answer the phone. I, I, I was paralyzed completely. I, yeah, I love this. And it was like, honey, you have nothing to atone. I remember she said, you have nothing to atone for. You got the, you got the role in Truman Show. We're not going to negotiate today because it's Yom Kippur, but we're going to, you know, uh, the, the producer said, you're not going to be crazy, right? You're not going to ask for all this crazy CAA money, are you? So we'll settle it tomorrow. It's Yom Kippur. And so I told him, yes, we're fine. And so have a great Yom Kippur. And I like, you know, cried and jumped around and oh, that's could, awesome. Yeah. And so when, well, what I'm interested in is that, you know, you want this thing so desperately, you do all this stuff, you jump through these hoops, you make it happen for yourself. Walking onto that set. Oh. What were you feeling? Heaven. It was the floating on air, man. It was, first of all, you're working with Peter Weir, who's the, to this day, you know, the greatest director I've worked with in my life and one of the great men I know in my life. Um, an artist and a gracious, spiritual, beautiful man. So, you know, the first week of of the set was like, he sets us up so that we had, uh, sort of, the rehearsals were sort of reliving the backstory of these characters. So we had like graduation parties, because the story was we'd grown up together. So we had barbecues and parties and it was all A abstract. lot of the movie is you and Jim Carrey making your way through this uh, world together. And yeah. you're playing the, the character you play in the sort of, uh, conceit of the film and the the show within the film is yeah. like the greatest guy in the world. Yeah, Always the bringing a six pack over, right, and, right, uh, shoulder to cry on, and yeah. you're, but you're really sort of like the uh, the evil guy's mouthpiece. And yes, except that's steering. not. Except I, I, I can act, yeah, I don't agree ahead. with the way that character is perceived by the public at all. Because you know this guy was put on the show when he was seven years old, right? That he's been on the show. He's been Truman's best friend. Truman picked him. No, not him. I'm saying his. Ed Harris is manipulating your yes, character yes, to yes. say what he wants. Right, but the dupli- I mean, I have, I have real loyalty and ferocious defensiveness around Marlon because people, he's, and it's haunted me in my life because because people really are angry at Marlon for how he treated Truman. Like they, People come up to me for years after, and still sometimes, but not so much, but for years, like, how could you do that to your best friend? I'm like, you know, I'm an actor, right? I, I, I but even so, the- you don't feel like Marlon was duplicitous. I feel like Marlon was the most tortured character in that world because Marlon has a pushy stage mom. Marlon's best friend really in life was Truman, right? He, he's been on the show since he's eight years old. So right. he's imagining, you know, these eight-year-old actors. He meets this other guy. He's supposed to, he's an extra in the class. Truman, he's become real friends. Yeah. At some point, they didn't tell Marlon this, I don't think, until he was old enough to keep the secret. Like, Marlon knows now this is a fraud, he knows Truman's being manipulated. He can't. He, his best friend is someone he can't tell the truth to. 
he he's living this crazy duplicitous world like yeah. he lives on the show he lives in the bubble he's Truman's best friend like how often is he offset how often is he like in the real world not much I, I mean you do know you're an actor right <laughs> no. because this is make believe and it happened no. 15 years ago <laughs> So no, I'm just saying. You won't talk. About, yeah, I'm just saying. No, right, I mean, you're you're, right. you're annoyed at the people. Like, I mean, you're ready to come across the table at me. I just said, no, it's, uh, no. uh, you know, I just I think they missed, they they missed the point that Marlon's a victim of this of, of Ed Harris as much as Truman. I get it, but degree. what this is really uh, illustrative of is how committed you are as a I'm per- crazy. Uh, performer. I'm crazy. I, 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 like I was about to say, I, I forgive the conflation from the audience because that's what we want, isn't it? We want them to believe it. We want them to really believe I'm that person. I mean, I want that. Right. So when they, so you know, when you play a hero and people think you're the coolest guy in the world, you you take that without complaining. Right. So when you play a villain and people think you're villainous, like you can't complain about that. That's beautiful. That's amazing to be. But, but so when you connected to this character that strongly, and obviously yeah. to Jim, you must have felt an incredible yeah. warmth, and you're doing this. Yeah. But some party must have also thought, well, this is going to change my life, and I'm going to become. Like a star off right, of this, right? Because you're human. Yeah, it's a huge movie. Yeah, and I thought it was, this is like this is I'll never audition again. Like I, you know, I had fantasies about like, wow, oh, right. this is going to establish. Well, me, yeah, you know? and I'm so glad to hear your audition story for for that because you know I've always Levine and I've always felt bad about this when we ruined an audition for you, which I don't even know if you remember, because what? you were you were on your way to audition for for Love of the Game, the Kevin Costner movie. Yeah. And I wanted that one really badly. Right, but too. I, I you, don't, you might not remember what happened. I don't. Well, we're, you're walking up the street and you're a lefty. Yeah. And you wanted you to play catching, a catcher. Yeah. And you go, I'm, I'm not really an athlete, but I'm trying to learn. So I've been walking around with this mitt for days. Right. And I, we couldn't help ourselves. I just remember looking like, at you and I just it. go, dude, you can't get the part because you're a lefty. Wow. And they got I, a cat. You can't be a lefty catcher. And you just looked at us and you went, there are no lefty catchers. <laughs> and oh my God. Oh my we God. Were, we were, we, I remember we were meeting with Barbara Defina who worked with, we were coming down the street and you were walking up oh. the street and you, you just, the look on your face, you know, it was like the court of blood technique, like all the blood fell out of your wow. face. And I was like, oh dude, can you, can you fake it? Can you go get another glove? And you were like, I can't even throw lefty. How am I going to throw righty? <laughs> right? Because you said. Oh, my God. And I remember Dave oh trying to buck God. you up and just being like, oh. you know what they can do? I remember Dave saying, they can do a camera thing. Like they used to do with the old. <laughs> they flip the negative. Pride of the game. They right. flip the negative. Like right. they could flip the negative. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, or Pride of the Yanks whatever. I they totally could flip the negative. And, um, and you were like, oh, great. And then we walk away. And it was like Princess Pride. I was <laughs> I like, giving like, he's got it. He's like, you know. <laughs> no chance. No, it would take a miracle. Wow. And I remember walking away and just we both felt so bad. Wow, that's so funny. Because we saw the future and it was John C. Right, Riley. Right, you know, right. we knew. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you had this other that's good funny. audition yeah. story. But at least you should, You knew then the reason you didn't get it was. Yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was Compliment's fault. Like, yeah. He told him I was a lefty. I was going to fake it. You were a lefty. No, yeah, that, that, that. That, that's actually the best reason in the world to not get a job. Yes. You know? No, I know. But you, yeah. know, you hate to be the one yeah. delivering no, I never the helped news. You. I guess I, 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 didn't, I, never, I never wove you into that because I, I never... Well, of you're course. You're not a part of that No, for of me. course not. It was just yeah. you were walking down wow, the street. That's and funny. You I do like, remember the lefty <laughs> thing. I remember it now that you said it. Because like, I remember... Yeah, of course. So you remember like, yeah. oh, shit. Yeah. That was... Yeah. Fun. Anyway, the, uh, I just remember seeing you with the mitt and yeah. just being like, oh, poor Noah. He's working. <laughs> he's trying so hard. And oh man, I bought like happen. baseball pants and cleats and everything. Yeah, of course you did, because yeah. you were committed. Yeah. Oh my God. Um. But so in the in the shadow of that, when when the movie came out, and you know it was a weird thing because it's a beloved movie, but it even though it was a huge hit, it wasn't a huge enough hit. Right. And then, um, filmmakers noticed you obviously, and you worked. Yeah. But it, when it didn't happen in that huge way right away, was yeah. it hard? Like, what did you think was going to happen, and how did you? How did you sort of process it and like kind of continue to move forward in, in the, the period of time between that and then, you know, when when things really started to pick up momentum again right. and then here where it's all finally come together on, on the Americans? You know, uh, I had had I, I had been prepared for it in some ways. I remember when I was shooting Beautiful Girls and they were telling me, you know, uh, this is going to change your life, kid. It was Harvey Weinstein was producing it, and it was Miramax, and they were like, "This is you're great in this movie, and they love, and they, everyone's loving you, and the tests, and this and that, and like you're gonna, you know, they, they, I was sold the whole story that was going to happen to me on Beautiful Girls, and that didn't happen. That was a, even in a more sort of like 
uh, it was just not a successful film in the box office run of it. It's been really successful since, actually. Oh, people love um, that People movie. love it. But uh, so I had sort of I had sort of weathered that. Illusion. Uh, so that movie written by Scott Rosenberg, one of the oh. the great screenwriters of uh, of the last however many years, and the dialogue in that movie is totally insanely great. Well, unfortunately, for the, you, Rosie O'Donnell popped out of that movie because she oh, had like man. the huge she movie was, stealing. By the way, you know, scene. that movie same audition story. That movie was the same thing as Truman Show. I had the I, script, I couldn't get in. I got the, I finally got the pre-read. They didn't bring me back for the director. Then they cast somebody else in the role. That guy fell out. Then they were sort of up the creek. And they then needed you got last it. Minute. But I, I so that, so so you on that, which you found, so that was a good sort of like um, for you to lean on when you were trying to pursue yeah. Truman Show. But still, the stakes and the scale yeah, were different. Your, yeah, I avoided your question. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, you, you sort of hope for change. And it, so much of it is a waiting game. Actors spend a lot of time waiting. So uh, you're sort of, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not, it's not a, it's not a binary result. It's sort of, you're thinking, maybe I'll get offered something. Someone saw something. They liked me. I got great reviews. Yes. So the results came out. Seemingly everything was great. Green light. And then, you know, just time that passes, actually. Yes. So it's very sort of. It's very, it's a slow roll. But yeah, but what I wonder about, and I've thought about this a lot in regards to you, is because you are such a bright person, because you're a writer also, you have a brother who was a successful screenwriter, realized the uncertainty of that life, and that he was good at other things, and became right. head of a giant movie studio, and right. chose a life closer to your dad's, of security right. as right. a shepherd to artists. Right. And then you chose the the... One part of this whole game where you have the least personal yeah. agency. Yes. Even if you had it written, matter how you could wake up tomorrow and write the next thing. But as an actor, right. it's really up to the the gods. I don't believe in you know. But yeah. so, how did you sort of hew to that? Um, Mistakenly. The whole time. <laughs> I think right. it's a mistake. I mean, right. I, I'll, honestly, you know, I went to NYU Film School for a while. I, right. I wanted to head towards the directing end of things. No, and you've right. written script. I mean, I know yeah, you're I've a real screenwriter. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, but but you kept. I feel uh, like. What is it, it about the acting? You know, I think it's. I think it's really what I think it is. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. You know, I think it's an infantile, juvenile fantasy of wanting to be discovered. You know, seen, of wanting the world to, to see you and not have to show yourself to the world. So it's a combination of incredible narcissism and ego and sort of modesty and 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 blockage Come in on, some weird the, way. It's the most primal, innocent you know, um, part of ourselves, which is that if we uh, are brave enough to just sit there and open our eyes and look at someone else, that they'll be brave enough to look back at us and really see us. And I don't right. think that that's like narcissistic. I think that right. that's open and kind of beautiful. I always the, think the, the reason Avatar was so successful isn't because of all the stuff. It's because right. the whole movie is about, I see you. Totally. And that's a, totally. that is our, all of our totally. fantasy yes. is to be seen yes. in that way. Yes. But if you extrapolate that into a bigger sort of Hollywood fantasy, like the, the wor that you're going to become a star by being seen, that that's where it starts to get a little juvenile. I mean, in terms of his adolescent yeah. fantasy. So the star thing, even as you were working as an actor, as a supporting actor, as the guy passing the ball, this idea of I, if I keep at this, they'll realize I'm that thing that should be at the center of this. That even if I'm right. naturalistic, and you won't, and, right. and without um, without changing what you do. In other words, right. without trying to be a performer that you're not. Right. Uh, you were like, if I keep just doing my thing, they're going to find me and I'm going to, I'm not going to stop until that happens. Right. Right. And so when the Americans comes along and someone says, here, yeah. be one of the two leads of this show, it's going to be, you know, heat. Uh, and you're going to get to be, uh, you know, Pacino and heat, though your style's closer to the other guy. <laughs> um, why do you hesitate when it's offered to you by like your best friend right. uh, who's directing it? Well, I mean, you know, uh, first of all, in the pilot, it wasn't clear who Stan Beeman was going to become or what his role was going to be in the show. What was really clear to me was that he carried a badge and a gun. And like I sort of had made this pact for myself. I don't want to do any more badge and gun roles. Like I don't want to be a cop. And certainly not a cop on a television show where you could get locked in for five years and you're doing some procedural stuff, which is not interesting to me and i just i was really sick fed up with playing blue collar characters i was really fed up with i wanted to play something that would probably approach closer to myself i thought that would actually be in the next phase of my life and my career 
And there's and no hint of the carnal aspect of the character either, which is not none, something you've gotten none, to display. Right, no, none. It was just, it was really just, you know, if you watch the pilot, it's, it's actually, it, it pops out a little bit because of the way it was shot and cut, but it, it, on the page, I was really intimidated. To be honest with you, what happened was I read the script, I, the pilot came my way, they were interested. Before Gavin was even involved, I, I, I got this interest. I looked at it, it said FBI, and I kind of closed it. I was like, FBI, badge, gun, spies, you know. And I didn't really read it carefully. Then Gavin called me and said, I'm directing this show. American's like, oh yeah, I read that. He's like, he's like, yeah, what, what, what happened? I was like, I don't, it didn't interest me. He's like, why? I said, I don't know, man. I don't, I, you know, badge and a gun. He's like, you should read it again. Right. So then I read it again. And I still was very hesitant about it. And I met with Joe Weisberg, who wrote it. And uh, I just really wanted to know what the show was about for him. Because, you know, you don't, you know, a television show, you sign a six-year contract, man. You no, sign I, a six-year yeah. contract off of a 40-page script that is going to be run by a committee. So that's a, I mean, I take, I'd rather not work than work in a job I'm not happy in. You know, I, I really, I, yes. so, so I'll take the, I'll take the, I'll take the hit and not work. Then for me to sign a six year contract is really a really tough thing to do. Um, but, uh, you know, I met with Joe. I loved him. He's a really smart, interesting man who's interested in the stuff I'm interested in. It wasn't about spying at all. It's about humanity and about people and identity and all these interesting things that we're exploring. And, and he said, you know, he, we talked about Stan and what his notion of the character was and what was interesting about the character for him. It sounded really good to me. And then I also thought, you know, Gavin sort of, because I've been talking about writing and directing and wanting to get into that. And he's like, you know, a television show is a great opportunity. Right, and you've directed, yeah, stuff. and you've been able to direct. Yeah, I just did this year. I directed one, which was an amazing experience. So it, it, and it's home and it's in New York and I live here. And it's, so it had a lot of things going for it. And I finally said, okay, I'll, I'll, let's do this. But I was petrified. Um, yeah, I mean, do you think, because I, I, I want to just to sort of bring this thing full circle. Yeah. I mean, it is sort of like saying I'm going to go commit to law school or I'm going to commit. It's like it is saying right. I'm signing on to now sort of be in this box. And it is, I mean, you know, and yeah. and I don't know, also the, the, it was clearly an opportunity where someone was saying to you, here, I'm going to give you the chance to really be seen. Yeah, yeah. And, and not really though. Let me. Uh, Why? In my defense, Why? Because like, yeah, look, I, I made a pilot with Steve Gagan the right? year before, yeah. where it was the show, and, I, and and the guy was a cop, and he carried a gun, but it was, and it was, I, and it was my show. It was, I was the lead. Were you of the show. So were you very disappointed when it didn't go, or were you relieved? I was really when disappointed it when it didn't go, and really relieved. I, I really was both, to be honest with you. I really wanted it to go because I loved the process of making that pilot. I thought it was a rich character, and and I was. I, I, I was disappointed heavily that it didn't Do you go, find yourself honest. now comfortable in like in, in actual success? Yeah, I want more. You like it. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah, you're no. not conflicted about it now. Not this at is all. what you want. You're finally kind yeah. of like in your spot. Yeah, I feel really good. I did feel you take really hiatus good. movies each time? Uh, I did one. Uh, I did one. I did this, you know, Jane Got a Gun with Gavin again, with Natalie Portman, and Ewan McGregor, and uh, Joel Edgerton. Great, fun, Western. Yes. Led to all sorts of bounty and wonderful things in my life. Um, I, 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 right, I, have now I have a new philosophy, you know. My new philosophy is yes. Like, I used to be no. I used to say no to everything. I really did. I said no to a lot of things that came along uh, in my career because I was very precious with the work. I really feel it's important, like that you believe in what you're doing with your life, and that yeah. you know it's con it's con it's contrary to what an actor in some ways needs to do, because you need to say yes, you need to get out there, work begets work, you meet people, you make relationships. But I I really early in my career had a job which I wasn't proud of, and it felt like I was raping myself on some level. Like it felt awful. It felt so bad. I was so uh, embarrassed, which I which is also crazy to me that like, you know. In some level, you're just an actor. Like you're a journeyman actor, you have to do. These no, it's jobs. a terrible feeling. I've had the but feeling. It's a, it's a feeling. terrible feeling. Right. I won't do it. Anymore. You're putting I, your soul into something that you don't believe in. A, so yeah. right. So so, but now I'm sort of feeling like first of all, everything you know that you well, can, better stuff is coming to you now. You, you can also combine that with your own tendencies towards maybe sort of self destruction or or, yeah. or hiding, and you can justify saying no to everything because it's not good enough, and you end up just sort of doing nothing. Like I think now I'm much more. I, I tell younger actors when they ask me, I tell them to say yes. Like, just say yes. Like, you got to make a lot of stuff to find, and, and cream will rise to the top. Certainly and, in the and beginning. You never, and you never uh, know what's going to be interesting. You never know what's going to be interesting. Well, you know, Sidney Lamed, the, in the best book about making movies ever, yeah, making, movies, making movies. I mean, he says your first movie, whatever you're offered as a director, say right. yes, right? right. You got to take that. 
then you can think about it a little bit more. But so right. now in this position, you're ready to like go. And I know you have a you have a family now. You have a child. Yeah. And uh, if she came to you uh, and said, "I want to be an artist," right? You think you'd be sort of like ready to let her go out there into the unknown? Yeah, I mean, my hope for her is that she has whatever she wants. Of course, you know, I, I may have behind the scenes hopes that that, that she chooses An less painful paths or easier paths. But truly, truly, I mean this. You know, I want her to have what I want for her more than anything is to is to be able to follow her own dreams and her own bliss, and not and not be involved in that. Not 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 manipulate or or, or influence that. Other than with my own sort of wisdom and guidance and experience, but but literally letting her, I think one of the hardest things for a parent to do is to let the child be themselves. You know, was there ever? I agree with everything you just said. Was there? And that's why I became you know became an artist when I was thirty because I wanted to give my kids that example in a way uh, because I knew I had to do it. But when when uh, it, at any time along along the way, did you look back at that decision from when you were at Yale? when it was tough uh did you ever look back and regret it or have you always known it was the right thing um no i've had i've had questions i've had doubts you know do you anymore uh, no i don't have doubts that i did the wrong thing i don't think you can do the wrong thing by definition if you're doing it it's not the wrong thing for whatever reason you needed to do it it may not be what you stay with but i don't think there's such a thing as a wrong thing i think that's, that's you're looking in the wrong direction if you're thinking about that you need to be looking forward you know, I really do feel that. So I don't, I mean, that's a little bit abstract, but I don't think there's wrong decisions. You so, can look back and say, I might, it would have been interesting if I had made a different decision, but whatever reason, in that place, in that time, in that moment in your life, you made that decision. There's a reason for that. You have to trust your, unless, you know, obviously things can get wacky if you're lots of external influences. Yeah, well, we're not talking about crazy people right now. Like, yeah. like you're, yeah. you're saying, so for you, you've thought about it, you've recognized it, but you feel like um, it was the right yeah, it was. Well, it was. There is no right and wrong. I'm I'm past right and wrong. All right, that's it. Like your character, like Stan Beeman, by the way. <laughs> right, that's you're true. past right and right. wrong. By the way, right now you're you are a... partially talking to Stan Beeman. Right, I can't. You can't I just separate it out. Season. I'm still I understand. fresh off the season. Saying, I mean, yeah, a month from now, I'll be less Stan Beeman. But no, but of course, that's perfect. You're in a place in between. Good. And, there is yeah. no good. There is yeah, no it's bad. Great. It's all great. Uh, that's great. No, no, thank you so much for doing this, man. This is, um, you know, a. Uh, I think I asked you to do this like uh, six months ago, and you're like, "We'll definitely figure it out." So I'm really glad that that you're here, and um, so happy for all your success and uh, in each of these endeavors. If you do go back to law school, yeah, and you do end up opening a constitutional <laughs> law firm, uh, as you know, I have a law degree too. I went yeah. to law school at night. So if you open that firm and we end up doing some pro bono constitutional work, I'll come in with you. Wow, because it'll be, be down the road. We're, yeah. we're talking. I mean, this exactly. is years away. Yeah, this is definitely years. I'll away. have finished this series. Wow, and then we can go and we can finally find a way to argue before the court. That would be on, on the side. That's what I'm on saying. The on, side. The side yeah. we'll on the side, will be on the side. We'll be like firm sidebar. We'll be the ten speed and brown shoe <laughs> of constitutional law. I think that would be awesome, man. Um, hey, Noah's on Twitter at at Noah Emmerich. At Noah Emmerich. I'm on Twitter at Brian Koppelman. You can also email me at uh, themomentbk at gmail.com. I answer all emails unless they contain a screenplay or a movie idea, in which case they go, uh, Stan Beeman will come to your house and uh, <laughs> cause a lot of trouble for you. Thanks for listening to The Moment. Uh, see you next week.